Welcome to Abuelas en Acción, a podcast for our common good. My name is Marie Dahlstrom, and we are pleased to continue our series, Uprooting Food, Planting Seeds for Equity. The COVID-19 pandemic and the protests for racial justice have propelled many of us, including myself, to take a closer look at our food supply chain, what food we eat, and the workers that produce and process our food. We are honored to welcome our guest, Lauren Ornelas. Lauren is the founder and president of the Food Empowerment Project, FEP, a vegan food justice nonprofit that seeks to create a more just world by helping consumers recognize the power of their food choices. FEP works in solidarity with farm workers, advocates for chocolate not sourced from the worst forms of child labor, and focuses on access to healthy foods in black and brown communities and low-income areas. You can watch her TEDx talk on the power of our food choices and learn more about FEP's work at foodispower.org and veganmexicanfood.com and veganfilipinofood.com. Dolores Huerta, co-founder of United Farm Workers, said this about FEP. As a vegetarian and someone who has dedicated my life to causes of justice, I strongly support Food Empowerment Project's efforts to connect the issues of justice for farm workers, food, and animals, protecting the environment, and providing equal access to healthy foods. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. We are, this is an honor to have you, and it was wonderful um, to know that you're from San Antonio, and I also live here in San Antonio, and um, it's such a small world, for it sure. Is. It is, and I, I hope my hometown's treating you right. <laughs> they, they very much are. It's wonderful <laughs> to be here. So tell us a little bit about your personal and career journey to this point in your life. I think that, you know, I started out really um, my progress, I guess, looking at how I went vegetarian. Um, I went vegetarian when I was really young. I was in elementary school. And um, that, I think, really came about looking at it in retrospect that I saw the cows out in Texas and didn't want to be responsible for separating a family. And my parents were getting a divorce and my mom was having to take me somewhere for people to take care of me. Um, and I think the separation anxiety that I experienced from her, I kind of, you know, empathized with non-human animals and how that would happen for them. And through call in high school, I was involved in the anti-apartheid movement. And I was also raised with an understanding of the great boycott and the plight of farm workers. So eventually, you know, I decided I wanted to dedicate my life to the rights of non-human animals because I felt like that was something that I could actually make a difference with. I could stop eating animals, not causing harm to them. I could not go to places like SeaWorld that were in San Antonio and not participate in that type of suffering. But in doing animal rights for so long, I always would get pushback from animal rights activists when I would talk about things such as the plight of farm workers or you know, anything relating to human animals. And so eventually in 
2006, I spoke at the World Social Forum in Caracas, Venezuela, and was overwhelmed by the power and the beauty of so many different people from all over the world, primarily the global south, coming together and talking about issues that I cared about, water privatization, the environment, immigration, worker rights issues. And um, decided to found Food Empowerment Project as a way to really connect these issues and show people how their food choices can make a difference and how they, their food choices do connect with so many other social justices. You know, I really encourage our listeners to go to your website to see the amazing resources that Food Empowerment Project has. and. Um, you, the FEP is a vegan food justice organization that seeks to create a more just and sustainable world by recognizing the power of one's food choices. Tell us about your organization and all that you do. I was just amazed. I didn't even realize until I spent time on your website, you have done a lot and you are continuing to do a lot. And in terms of uh, farm workers and just the human beings who are behind the food that is on our table for, I think, many people, uh, the COVID pandemic has really forced us to reconcile that disparity and the, the way in which we here in, in the United States have done a pretty good job of separating ourselves from um, uh, where our food comes from. Yes, and I think that, you know, COVID-19, what it's done is really exacerbated the problems that already exist. You have farm workers who are you know, working in the fields don't get a lot of the benefits that many workers do. They don't always get their breaks. They have, they suffer from wage theft, sexual harassment, um, just occupational injuries from the type of work that they do. And they don't make enough money to really, at least many of them have to live, many of them crowded into one bedrooms or two bedrooms with their whole families. And so, and they're traveling together, whether it be by bus or in a van with each other. And so you have them in cramped conditions, which only exacerbates a situation such as COVID-19. And again, this would simply be resolved by these growers paying them more money for the work that they're doing. And you have the same thing when we look at lack of you know, during this time, people have gone to the grocery store and been unable to find what it is that they want to eat. And this is what many Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities suffer from all year round, COVID-19 or not, that they don't always have access to the fresh foods that they need and want. And I know you wanted me to talk about our work too. Um, our work is basically broken down into four areas, veganism, farm worker justice, um, trying to raise awareness and get people not to buy chocolate sourced from slavery and child labor for chocolate, and then working on lack of access to healthy foods in black and brown communities. So with all that's happening, Lauren, do you, um, in particular with the racial justice protesting that's going on, do you have any hope that there will be something that changes uh, and, and also the possibility for an administration change in November? Uh, do, do you have hope for 
uh, equity um, that, that will happen for our uh, farm workers in particular and those who uh, have been so um, uh, really um, oppressed in terms of have, uh, earning a living wage. I want to have hope. I mean, to some degree, it'd be, it'd be hard to say I don't have hope with the statues coming down, corporations looking at their logos. All of that is, to those of us, I mean, again, someone who grew up in Texas, to have statues and names after people who killed my ancestors has always been something that was hard to reconcile. Um, so I do understand and I agree that those are powerful things that are taking place. But in order to really create the change, we need to see changes in the economic structure and the yes. power structure in this country. Yes. And I want those things to continue. I want to continue to see names change and statues coming down and all of that. But I also want to see living wages being advocated for. I want to see some recognition into which corporations um, are preventing um, the thriving of black and brown and indigenous, indigenous communities. I want to see somebody demanding for better living and working conditions for all workers and definitely farm workers are included in that. But I think that, you know, I don't know if this is like peeling off one of the layers is this, is this, you know, affront that's taking place and then there'll be work to the deeper um, changes that need to be made. And I'm just hopeful that it doesn't stop there. Sure. Well, in 2007, you launched Vegan Mexican Food. I love this. Talk to us about Latinos and veganism. Why is it so important to eat a plant-based diet for food and environmental justice? And do you have any data? How many of us Latinos are becoming vegan? You know, that's a great question. There seems to be more data on um, Black people in the United States who've gone vegan, but I haven't seen much on the Latinx community. Um, I would say it's incredibly important to us um, for a variety of reasons. Um, one is because of our health, um, because our communities suffer from high rates of type 2 diabetes. And if we started to eat better and consumed less animal products, we would definitely see a drop in that, as well as other dietary diseases. But I also think historically, if you look at the way that our ancestors ate, we did not consume a lot of animal products. That's not to say we were vegan, but we didn't consume as many animal products as we do today. In fact, Columbus is the one who brought cows over on his fourth voyage. And so milk is something that's actually very harmful to us. That's why many of us cannot consume um, milk because it causes digestive issues for us. Um, but, you know, many people call that um, lactose intolerance and at Food Empowerment Project, we like to call it lactose normal because one, it's not normal for anybody to consume the milk of another species. But two, lactose intolerance puts the onus on us as if there's something wrong with us, whereas there's nothing wrong with our ancestors who did not consume milk and they were only forced to do so when Columbus brought the cows over and there was this concern about trying to make our, our, our native selves um, consume more European foods or as they would consider non-savage foods. So I think it also, you know, goes back to our roots. And I think when we look back at the history, it starts to help us understand why so many of us are lactose normal. And I think that that is, is, is a sense of power for us. This makes me feel powerful to understand this is why it is. It's not as if there's anything wrong with us. It's just we have to recognize how much colonization impacted our lands, our power, our authority, and of course our health and what we consume. 
And this was part of the reason why we founded our podcast, Abuelas en Acción, is to talk about issues like this. And, you know, we've just assumed it, it was a uh, the norm, you know, you mentioning that, you know, the term lactose intolerance, uh, We've just accepted that, for example, or we've just accepted that, oh, because we Latinos love meat, that it was always part, it's part of our heritage. No, we have to go back and get a better understanding of our history, of our indigenous roots, and and to see that, um, you know, how uh, neoliberalism and how the economy, how all of that has changed life for us, and and we're paying the price with our health and, and the environment environment and uh, all that's that we see happening. Absolutely. And you have the, the corporations and the industries advertising to our communities, you know, so I mean, they hold a lot of responsibility in that in terms of, you know, we know where so many black and brown and indigenous people have are, are lactose normal and yet they try to saturate um, the airwaves and, you know, advertising trying to get us to consume those products that are not healthy for us. Absolutely. Well, um, as we were talking about until COVID-19, many of us paid little attention to workers um, in the food industry. Um, The FEP website lists a quote from union advocate Greg Denier. Rather than raise the standards of the industry, many employers have sought to recruit workers who will simply accept less. Most of the time, we're bargaining just for basic human decency. What do you think is really important for us all to know about the working conditions of the workers that produce and process our food? I think one of the things I think it's important to recognize is they're no different than us. There seems to be this mentality that people want to be about the Latinx um, workers that, oh, they're out working in the fields and, oh, they can endure this and that. They're enduring it not just because they're superhuman, it's because they're doing it for their families and they're doing it for survival. They're doing it for a better way of life. And I think it's important, too, to recognize if you look at something like um, slaughterhouse workers, I mean, they are discriminated against. Um, There is a a case where some workers um, were trying to sue the slaughterhouse because anybody who spoke Spanish wasn't given breaks to go to the bathroom. And these are the, these same workers who were fighting for themselves also started to talk about the welfare of the pigs and how they were treated. So, you know, there needs to be recognition that our communities um, are suffering in the food industry, no matter where you look. If you look at animal production or if you look at produce, um, they are suffering and we owe it to them um, to speak out against what's taking place and also to help them. Our organization, we do a school supply of every year for the children of farm workers because we know that their parents are sacrificing so much for them to have a better life. We feel that it's not an act of charity, but it's a way to right an injustice that's taking place against farm workers that they're not being paid what they should be paid. And so we provide school supplies to the children so that it's one less thing for the families to have to worry about. Mm-hmm. 
Talk to us about environmental justice and um, the food industry with its factory farms and slaughterhouses. They're a major contributor of pollution and the health of black and brown communities and low income communities uh, all over the country, all over the world for that, for that matter. But could you talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, it's environmental racism which takes place, which means that Black, brown, and indigenous communities are the ones experiencing more of the negative pollutants than whiter, more affluent communities are. And so this is where you have oil refineries, you have toxic waste dumps, you have hazard waste facilities, you have the truck depots, but you also is where you have um, factory farms. Um, so in for the Latinx community, let's say here in California where I'm based, um, in the Central Valley is predominantly the Latinx community who lives there. And that's where all the dairy farms are. And you have some of the highest rates of asthma in the country in this area. And so it's, it's ways in which these industries contribute to the negative health consequences. So when you have something like COVID-19, you have community members who are already under stress from discrimination, racism, but they're also experiencing negative pollutants already in their communities. They may not be eating enough and they do not have the same access to health care. So, you know, you have these, these environmental problems as well that contribute to just everything overall that impacts us. And what we've seen are uh, public officials uh, from uh, different communities around the country um, and uh, commentators uh, blaming communities of color for higher rates of COVID due to these health issues. Um, and so uh, this is why it's so important for us and, and the work you're doing is of vital importance to educate voters, to educate people about what are the root causes? Why is this happening? And um, what, what are some of those solutions? So um, thank you again for being with us here today. Um, this is such important information and I'm, uh, it's been just uh, wonderful to talk to you. We always, we of course are Abuelas en Acción and we always mm -hmm. like to end with some action steps. What are action steps that um, all of us, uh, but in particular Latinx and other communities of color, what can we do for food justice? Well, we have information on our website. By the way, our website is in English and in Spanish, as is veganmexicanfood.com, and vegan Filipino food is in um, English and Tagalog. Um, but we do have information on the top 15 things you can do. Um, it includes things like if you have access to healthy foods, you know, to, to go vegan, to stop harming, stop some of the suffering that's taking place in the world, um, to support the boycotts and campaigns called by farm workers themselves. So the Coalition of Amakali Workers has been asking people to boycott Wendy's because they refuse to pay one more penny per pound for the tomatoes that they pick. The farm workers in San Quintín, Mexico are asking for a boycott of Driscoll's berries. Um, so those are two things. We also ask people to um, use our recommended chocolate list to buy chocolate from. But we also have things like if you go to the farmer's market to make sure that you're supporting the black and brown farmers there. So we do have this information on our website. And we really feel that there's always, you know, we eat several times a day, those of us who have that privilege, and we need to look at eating as 
is part of a responsibility to help make the world a more just and equitable place. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, once again, the uh, website for um, the Food Empowerment Project is foodispower.org. And that's where Lauren has uh, indicated there are these action steps. Thank you again, Lauren, for being with us. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. And be with us again on Abuelas en Acción. <laughs>